0: You are listening to sermon audio from Fort Myers Community Church. For more information about how to get involved in the life of this church family, please visit www.fmcc.life. Hey, welcome to Fort Myers Community Church. My name is Bill Vecchia, one of the pastors here. Uh, Excited to bring the word to you this morning. I want to especially welcome our uh, sisters, our friends in Beach Baptist. So if you're here from Beach Baptist, I want to thank you for being here. Um, So we are so blessed to have you. Um, it, the, the Lord has, uh, has, has blessed us here, and we want to bless you as best as possible in this season of uh, losing your home, so we want you to feel like this is your home as well. And so we have the uh, fortunate opportunity to host Beach Baptist as well as Sanibel Community Church, which meets, meets here uh, at 5 o'clock on Sunday nights, and um, thank you guys for being here. Thank you for allowing us to serve alongside you, to bring the name of Jesus to every man, woman, and child in this community. So thank you guys for being here. So, raise your hand um, if you like to point out when other people are wrong. You do understand we're in church, right? Like 20% of you are being honest in church. I'll give you one more chance because the Lord is present and the Holy Spirit's gonna convict. Raise your hand if you like to point out when people are wrong. Okay, all right, a little more honesty in church. You can take off your mask, it's okay. This is a safe place. You know, we all mess up. We all do things that are wrong, um, sinful. We all fail at something. And we actually all uh, see clearly each other's faults, each other's issues, each other's problems. Uh, And so today, we're gonna be looking at and talking about what it looks like And how we can build up one another by speaking the truth in love. And so I want to give us some context. So so let's reread some of these verses again because this is the context in which we're coming in to this passage. So let's start in verse 11. So it says, and he, God, right? So this is Jesus uh, descended to earth in the form of a baby. That's what we're going to be celebrating in Christmas in a little bit. He came down to earth, lived a life we couldn't live, died the death we couldn't die, rose again, goes up, sits at the right hand of God, and he bestows gifts onto men. Then it says he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers, the leadership, to do what? Not to lord over the church, not to be in control of all things, But to equip the saints, to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry for the building up of the body of Christ, for for Christ's church, until we obtain the unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, looking towards eternity, looking towards the future, to mature manhood, to mature womanhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine. So the leader's role, job, is to protect the doctrine of the scriptures, to guide and lead. It's kind of like bumpers on an alley, right? To, to protect the church, to lead the church in the right doctrines so that we are no, no longer children to, tossed to and fro by the waves, carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. From whom Christ, the whole body, joined together and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. Because when each part is working properly together, it makes the body grow and builds itself up in love. So, I want to read this to you because this is kind of a full recap of chapter 4 here. It says, Paul desires... For every Jesus follower follower to experience the fullness of joy and relationship with God to each other. So he gave the church gifted leaders that they use their gifts to equip the saints so that they can go to every man, woman, and child and share the good news of Jesus. He wants them to be founded on sound jo- the, the sound doctrine of grace alone, by faith alone, in Christ alone, so that when storms come, they will not crumble that they will grow together in love. This is the context in which we're coming into this passage where we are talking about speaking the truth in love. Paul is a shepherd. Paul is sitting in prison right now, and all he can think about is this young church that he loves, and he is wanting them to experience the fullness of joy in Jesus. He knows that there, in this world that there's going to be heartache, that there's going to be pain, that there's going to be hurt. And he knows that firsthand because he's experiencing that. He's in prison. He's unjustly in prison. He has been beaten. He has been tossed to and fro. And he knows that life is not easy. He knows storms will come. But he wants them to be grounded and founded on the fact that Jesus loves them And wants relationship with them. And that he wants them to mature in their understanding of who God is and what God has done for them. Because that is the sure foundation that when the storms come, will protect us in all circumstances. In spite of our circumstances. And so he's saying, rather, I'd rather you not be a child. But rather, I would prefer you to be mature, grow up in the Lord, in Christ. As a kid, I loved bumper cars. Anybody else? Bumper cars? Yeah. But if I drove my car around now as an adult, like a bumper car, I would hurt myself and everybody around me. I had to mature in my understanding of what a car was and what a car did. Because there's a big difference between driving a bumper car and driving my car. He wants them to mature because he knows if they continue to act like kids, they're going to hurt themselves and everybody around them. So he wants them to mature in their faith in the Lord. But Paul's not advocating for self-improvement or self-effort. He truly believes in spirit transformation. There's an inside-out transformation that comes when we understand and know and value the good news of Jesus This is why Jesus continually rebuked the Pharisees. I want you to think about that. He continually went after the Pharisees, not because they weren't moral people, but because they continually polished the outside of the cup, but the inside of the cup was dirty and nasty. I don't know who it was, uh, but someone left a cup here for the last week, and it had something in it, and it's been maybe for a couple weeks because it's got like this nasty mold. Like on the outside of the cup, well, for one, I think it's like a, uh, a seminal cup, and that's dirty to begin with, but it's, let's just say there was a gator cup. Um, so the outside, though, is, is clean, um, but if you pull the top off this service tumbler, it is nasty, and so you can get that cup in the back. I think it's in the men's bathroom right now, um, but, uh, but Jesus is continually going after the inside he's continually trying to remind them that there is a spirit transformation that happens when when the gospel penetrates our hearts. It's not just about polishing the outside, by acting like we have it all together, but by actually believing and trusting in the finished work of Jesus. See, in verse 14, Paul knew that their culture had messed with their doctrine. The people around them, the culture around them that didn't believe in Jesus messed with their doctrine. And we have the same problem today. Now, there's a lot of doctrinal problems that we have today that correlate with the people there, but I'm I'm just gonna point out two. A buddy of mine, Russ Johnson, he spoke here a couple months ago. He talks about it in faithless pursuit and lawless pursuit. Those are the two doctrinal problems that we experience today, the major ones. So in one camp, Christianity is about striving to follow all the rules and earn God's favor. That's legalism. That was happening back then. There, there were the Pharisees going around telling everybody that they had to keep the law in order to be saved. They had to do everything, every step of the way. They had to do all the rituals, all the festivals, all the sacrifices, all even getting circumcised. They had to do those things in order to be saved. They started adding works to Jesus. That's legalism. But then in the other camp, Christianity is God accepting us no matter how we choose to live, even if it is sinful. That's the world that we live in today. Saying, you be you, you do whatever you want to do, and it's okay. And that's not what the Bible says either. The good news, hear this please, the good news is God holding up the law and at the same time forgiving us based on Jesus fulfilling the law and not in our inability to meet its requirements. See, God knows, and Paul knew, that the law is good for us. See, the law was put in place to protect the people of God. Ben, it's better for you if you don't steal from your neighbor. God knows that. It's better for you not to... Sleep with your neighbor's wife. It's better for you not to lie. Hey, Miguel, it's better for you not to murder people. Like, God put his law in place because he knew it's what what was going to protect the people of God. So God's not just removing the law and saying, do whatever you want. He's saying, this is what's going to bring you the fullness of joy and satisfaction. Hey, husbands, love your wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for it. But he also knows in the same sense that you can't do it. That's why he gives you the Spirit of God to transform you from the inside out. It's a full dependence on the finished work of God and the power of the Holy Spirit to enable us to begin the process of maturity. So Paul uses this, fa- this phrase, speak the truth in love. I, this was a really hard week for me. As I, I was preparing this all week, every time I came home, Lauren was is so great to say, hey, how, how's your sermon prep going? And I'm like, man, I, I'm struggling with this one because I really do feel like we misuse this phrase in our culture. I feel like when somebody is not keeping up with the law, it's our way of kind of padding something. To something when we're like, yeah, just go speak the truth in love and you're good. Right? And so, so I think that we in some ways misunderstand the heart of what Paul is trying to get at, because Paul is so gospel-centered, so Jesus-centered, that that this phrase is surrounded, bathed in the gospel. And I think we sometimes go so quickly to the do's and don'ts that we fail and forget to bring the gospel, the good news of Jesus' finished work on the cross. Here's what I mean by this. Often we say, speak the truth in love when it comes to sexual relationship before marriage, anger, lying, cheating, maybe addiction, um, someone doing something to hurt themselves or others, or even parents. Maybe when your kids are disobeying, we'll, we'll throw this phrase out there, or our kids are arguing or bickering. But we have to understand that contextually, this phrase is being used, Paul's using this to the church, and for the church. Look at what he says in verse 15. So that the body grows and matures. Speak the truth in love so the body grows and matures. Contextually, this is actually a phrase that he is speaking to believers to use and work with other believers. Second, I believe that this is less about the do's and don'ts and more about who God is and what God has done for us. I believe this is a missional phrase calling us to share the good news of Jesus. And here's why. Because let's break this down. Speak the truth. What is truth? Well, look at the Greek word up here. It's God's reality rather than personal illusion. It's the reality of God, who God is, and what he has done and accomplished on our behalf. Romans 2.15. God has written his truth on human hearts. 3 John 1, 3. We are to walk in the truth. 2 Thessalonians 2, 10 through 12. Love the truth and believe the truth. And this is what Jesus says in John 14:6. I am the way, the truth, the life. Jesus is the truth. As it is written his truth, the gospel, Jesus is written on human hearts. We are to walk in Christ. How many times have we seen, if, you, if you've ever picked this Bible up and read it for yourself, how many times have you seen the words in Christ? Hundreds. Because one of the main parts of the New Testament is trying to help us understand that we are hidden in Christ. So what is the truth? The truth is Is Jesus the truth? Is the reality of God manifested in the person of Jesus? Well, then what is love? First John 3, 7 and 8. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He that loves not knows not God, because God is love. It's the very essence of who God is. He is love. And I think Tim, uh, Tim uh, one of our other elders, did such a great job a few weeks ago breaking down 1 Corinthians 13 because we often hear it in the context of a wedding. But 1 Corinthians 13 is how the church is to be with the church. And in fact, it's a passage that points us back to who God is. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not boast. Well, if God is love, God is patient. God is kind. God does not envy. He does not boast. Like, we have to understand that this is the essence of who God is. God is love. So to speak the truth in love means to speak the love, the mercy, and the grace of God's divine unconditional love in Jesus over people. We're often quicker to speak facts about God and give people a list of instructions on what to do rather than to introduce them to the person of Jesus and show them how to enjoy Him. Jesus doesn't want us to follow a religion, He wants us to enjoy and experience a relationship with Him. Look, look at Ephesians 4:15 and 16 again and see the focus Paul puts on being Jesus-centered. I even highlighted it on the, these verses. Look at verse 15. Rather, speaking the truth in love, the reality of God and the person of Jesus, we are to grow up in every way into Him. Often we can say that's like, we, we even came up with these bracelets. What would Jesus do? I'm not saying that's bad, but we need to be hidden in Christ. We're, we can't, is anybody else here a sinner? On this side of eternity, I will not be perfect. That's why I need Jesus. So I need to be in him, for him, into him who is the head, into Christ. Look how many times he's, he's pointing us back to Jesus in this passage. From whom the whole body, joined together and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow up so it builds itself up in love. And God is love. So let me kind of put A word picture to this. Um, Students, where are my students at? Students, raise your hand. Like middle school, high school students, raise your hands, raise your hands. Okay. Any of you, uh, do do any of you skateboard? Keep your hand up. No? Would any of you like to skateboard? Raise your hand if you would like to skateboard or be interested in skateboarding. Okay. Um, Do you own a board? Do Do you own a board? You do? Grayson, do you own a board? No? Okay. Girls, you on a board? Okay. Um, Well, can you join me up here? Do you mind? Hey, let's give him a hand. Sorry, I'm putting, whoa, hey now. I'm putting you on the spot here. What's your name? Ian. Ian, all right, Ian. Can you do me a favor and open this up? So I want to give you a board, all right? Just open it up. All right, pull it out. Everybody see it? So it's a board, (laughs) right? And what else is in there, With there? That's a list of instructions, right? How to skateboard. So often, we give people the instructions on what to do, and we give them something that resembles a board. But there's not gonna be a whole lot of enjoyment, is there? Right? So you can take that. There you go. Let's hear from him. Hold on, hold on, hold on. From our brothers from our brothers and sisters, from Ride nature. That's for you, buddy. You can leave this. I'll take this. No, no, you need the instructions. They're good. The instructions aren't bad. Here's the deal. I think often when we are trying to speak the truth in love, we're not giving people the gospel. We're just giving them a list of instructions. Do this, don't do that. Try this, don't try that. But we're missing the essence of why God has redeemed us, brought us from death to life. He has brought you and I from death to life so that we can go and share good news, his life, with other people. We can go and tell people that in their failure, in their mess-ups, in their brokenness, that God loves them and he wants a relationship with them. And then once we reveal and share the good news of the gospel with them, we can begin to walk in discipling relationships with them. We can give somebody the good news of Jesus, and then, like what I did with my girls, we went and bought them a board at Ride Nature, and then as their dad, I walked with them and I taught them how to skate. Right? So I'm not saying that the instructions aren't important. We want people to experience the fullness of what God has for them. But what I am saying is often we lead with the instructions without giving them the gift that will help them understand the fullness and the goodness and the truth of who God is and what he has done. And what the Pharisees did is they often walked around with this instruction manual trying to tell everybody to act this way. Parents, we need to be really careful because often we are spending more time making little Pharisees Then we are trying to cultivate a heart of transformation in our kids to fall madly in love with Jesus. So, for us, if we are going to speak the truth in love, it needs to be saturated in the good news of Jesus. And so, I do believe that this is an ultimate call to disciple one another. See, if Jesus is my center, Then love and unity is my goal. We need to give everyone around us the gospel every chance that we get. And here's something I really want us to understand it is not only for them, it is for you too. In every disagreement, in every argument, in every moment, That you see a brother or a sister living in sin, that God has called you to go speak the truth in love, you need to be reminded of His good news for you. This is huge. So, how would speaking the, the truth of the good news of Jesus and the love of Jesus change your relationships? How would this change your relationships? Well, I think that there's, uh, there's two things that I'm going to address. I can't address it all. There's so many areas that are speaking in the truth and love apply in our lives. I'm just going to touch on two. Uh, when we're in dissension with somebody um, or maybe when we see somebody making poor decisions um, in our lives that we want to go talk to. So the first one, dissension. Um, often we use this 50-50 rule um, where we realize like um, that. Every problem there is, you know, 50% wrong on one side, 50% wrong on the other side. And often in all of our disagreements and all of our arguments and all of our fights, we don't allocate the 50-50 properly. It's usually 60-40, 70-30, maybe 90-10, right? I mean, that's usually how we go into these arguments is, all right, I'll own up to my 5%. But, babe, let me, let me point out you're 95%. Uh, here's the problem. It's not 50-50. It is 100%, 100%. Why? Because you're both fully sinners. And so you must own the fact that you are bringing to every argument, every disagreement, 100% of your sin. If you start every disagreement, if you start every dissension in your life, every severance of relationship in your life with the fact that you are fully a sinner, and you're willing to speak the gospel over yourself, that will change how you go and address that person. So, maybe you're in a, a fight with your spouse. So, a couple of things in, in dissension. One, um, I can't forgive is not an option. You'll never find that here. God wants what's best for you, and He knows that forgiveness is what's best for you. I'm not saying it's easy. I'm not saying you may not need uh, to to meet with an elder, a pastor, a deacon, a shepherd, a counselor to walk you through what that forgiveness process may look like. It may take months, years, or decades. But I can't forgive is not an option. You pursue, you give grace, and relationship is key in all this. So, say you're in a fight with your spouse. Uh, you never take out the trash, you always leave your underwear on the floor, whatever it is. In the argument, call a timeout. Hit pause. Say, I'm a sinner. You're a sinner. But we both have been given the fullness of God's grace and mercy. So before we let this go on any further, let's pray and put Jesus at the center of this. How do you think that would change, the argument, the dissension, the hurt, the pain. What about with your kids, your kids disobeying? Listen, I need to apologize to my kids. I've had a really bad week of having a hot temper. Selah, I'm sorry. Um, I really am, because it's not the kind of dad that I want to be. But in every one of those scenarios where my kids were inconveniencing me, <laughs> Because that's often where my anger rises up, is when I'm being inconvenienced. Can any other parents testify to that? Okay, all right, so I'm not alone in this. If I stopped for a moment, when my temper was rising, when my voice was rising, and said, hold on, pause, I'm a sinner. Even though maybe I feel justified in this, and I know that you're disobeying me, I'm a sinner, and you're a sinner. And it is only by the grace of God that we have both been brought from death to life. God has fully forgiven me, so why don't we hit pause and and take a moment to pray and recenter this argument in Jesus. That's speaking the truth in love, because that's gonna set a stage for me to, to speak to the heart of my daughter, not to get her to modify her behavior. Often, we are way quicker to try to modify behavior than to transform the heart through the power of the Spirit. And maybe it's not dissension. Maybe it's just someone you love making poor decisions. Uh, Maybe they're living in sin. Maybe they've hurt you. Um, Reminding yourself before approaching them and going to the Lord in prayer, in the midst of all of that, going to the Lord, saying, Lord, work on my heart in this. Remind me of your good news, of your gospel. And then going to the person and letting them know, like, hey, I know that I'm a sinner. I know I'm not perfect. And if there's anything you see in my life that I need to grow in and mature in so that I can experience more of the fullness of God, please let me know. But I see something in your life that is gonna hinder God from fully working out his true fullness of joy in your heart and in your mind and in your life. And I love you so much that I can't let you continue to walk this road of destruction. We're bathing all these things in the gospel. Now, I do want to speak specifically to abuse. Abuse? Sweet girl, it's okay. I know, sweet girl. Um, so, by the way, we love kids here. I'm so thankful that we have so many kids in our church. Uh, I think we're about to have like five or six Ready to pop, so I, I do want to speak to to abuse here for a moment because abuse comes very differently in a lot of these things. And if you are being abused, or even a hint of abuse, or you're not even sure, but it feels maybe like it could be, don't try to approach this on your own. But I want you to know this is a safe place to come to your elders, to your community group leaders. And to begin the process of walking restoration, we are for your marriage, we are for your relationships. We want to see those things restored in the fullness of what God has for you. But if you're being abused, you need to get help. You can't try to tackle it on your own. Um, I, I want you to know that because often, and my wife and I are walking through with some couples right now where there is abuse, and and you need protection in those moments. And so this needs to be come to Tim, Steve, myself, any of our pastoral residents. We want to walk with you in this and get you the help that can restore those marriages. Now, relationship with unbelievers, non-believers is, is different, right? Cuz in the context speak the truth in love is really speaking towards a church context. But that doesn't mean we can't speak the truth in love with non-believers because Jesus surrounded himself with people that weren't believers. But I want you to think of all the relationships that Jesus had with those around him that were non-believers. What did he do? Did he continually tell them what they should and should not do? Or did he continually reveal who he was to them and what he was going to do for them and on their behalf? If there is a non-believer in your life, maybe it's a grandkid, maybe it's a, a son or a nephew, maybe it's a, a neighbor or a friend or a cousin or a coworker. Share the gospel with them. Go to them. Share your own story about how God has brought you through your hurts, your habits, your pain, your brokenness, and how Jesus has released you, revived you, restored you from those things. And that you don't have it all together still. You're still working through it, but you have found hope And love and grace and mercy at the feet of Jesus, and they can too. Please don't go and hand them an instruction manual and hope that they'll just get their act together. Because for all of eternity, they will still be separated from a holy God if they don't know Jesus. We need to give them the gift of Jesus. So, as the band is coming back on up, look to the life of Jesus. Spend time with sinners. Bring the good news to sinners. He came to seek and save the lost, so we must do also. Don't just give them wood and instructions. Give them the gift of the good news of Jesus. And in our relationships with one another, in our dissension, in our arguments, in our brokenness, let's bathe our speaking the truth and love in the beauty of the gospel. Amen? Can I pray for us? Jesus, this is your word. Penetrate our hearts with it, Lord. Transform our relationships. God, I am so thankful for what you are doing in the life of this church. God, I am so thankful for Beach Baptist being here, being two families in one home. God, if it wasn't for something like this destruction of a hurricane, then we wouldn't be together here worshiping you in the same place. And guess what? For all of eternity, Lord, this is what it's going to be like. There's not going to be churches like Summit and FMCC and Redeemer and Beach Baptist and Sanibel Community. No, God, we are all going to be standing before you as brothers and sisters worshiping you for all of eternity. So thank you for letting us start that now. God, if we have a relationship in our life right now that is broken, I pray that you would, through your power, allow us to seek restoration. God, I know often when we seek restoration, people don't want to receive it. But I pray that we wouldn't shy away from seeking restoration because we're afraid of how they're going to respond. God, I pray that you would give us the confidence in your good news that we can go speak the truth of your love to everybody in our life, whether it's a good season or a hard season, and that we will continually be reminded that we are sinners in need of grace and that everybody around us is sinners in need of grace. So God, I pray we would be a grace-filled people that would overflow your love, mercy, and grace to every man, woman, and child we come in contact with. God, as we worship you right now, I pray that our hearts would not be um, distracted by things outside or the people around us or things that maybe we uh, would have said differently in the sermon or people's clothing, whatever the devil will bring in to distract us, but I pray that right now we can fix our hearts and our minds on who you are, that you are the King of kings, the Lord of lords, that That you parted the waters. That you brought food in the middle of the wilderness. You brought water out of a rock. And so within our broken relationships, you could bring life. You could bring hope. You could bring restoration. God, we lift this all up in your name and trust you. Because you are the creator of all things. We love you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen.